multi-generational church. They say, what does that mean? That means the kids are in charge. (laughs) That's exactly what that means. All right. It's time to preach. All right. It's very obvious the pastor's not in charge here. We're so glad you're here today. We've got, a, we've got a real treat for you. Our children are, are, are so blessed here at Family Worship Center. We're thrilled about our family's ministry, Pastor Stephen and Sarah Simmons, and the ministry they're bringing to our children. We're just so excited about that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Welcome to Easter service at Family Worship Center. Many of you are visiting family from out of town. We welcome you. Welcome to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We're glad you, t- you came to the borough to celebrate Easter with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation here at the beginning. The New Living. How many brought your Bibles today? You brought some form of Bible. How many? I just, just, just so I know, how many of you still have a, a book Bible that you bring with pages? Oh, man, look at all of these. How many of you uh, use an iPad here on Sunday morning? How many of you use your phone for something other than Angry Birds on Sunday morning? <laughs> all right. If you've got your Bible, the NLT, the New Living Translation, Pastor Gary tells us that's written on a sixth grade level, and so that's good enough for me, all right? It's good enough for me. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, aren't you glad about that? And a new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Today, we conclude the most important week of the year on the Christian's calendar. Since last Sunday up until today, this week is known as Holy Week. Holy Week begins last Sunday on Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday commemorates Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem. In fact, Palm Sunday is so important that it is one of the few events in the life of Jesus that is written about in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them write about Palm Sunday. Every one of them. That's unusual because many of the writers would write about one event and other writers would write about other events and there's only very few incidences or events in the life of Jesus that all four wrote about. And any time that all four of them wrote about it, you know that God wanted that event especially 
highlighted in believers' lives. So Palm Sunday, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, and the purpose behind it is one of those events in which God wanted it emphasized in our life forever. And we pick it up in Matthew chapter 21. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. The New Living Translation says this. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its coat beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take it. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, verse 5, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble. He's riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. Verse 6, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the coat to him and threw their garments over the coat and he sat on it. Verse 8, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him And others, here you go, Palm Sunday, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessed on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God in the highest! Verse 10, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priest and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children. Now notice that. Look at verse 15. The leading priest and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Now notice this last phrase. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Do you hear what these children are saying? Now it's important to pause right here and realize that Jesus is about to give us an answer. They ask him, do you hear what these children are saying? And he's not just giving some common answer to a common question. Jesus is about to reveal an eternal truth that if we will learn it, it has the power to change your life. Okay? Most of us read right past this scripture. We just read it in our daily reading or our monthly reading or our yearly reading and we've really never given it any significant thought. But they said, don't you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yeah, I heard. And then he tells them something that has the power to change your life. Let's read these verses in another translation. Let's go to the New King James 
translation. The new King James. That's King James, little boy. The new King James. Matthew chapter 21. Let's begin reading with verse number 14 in the new King James. Matthew chapter 21, begin with verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Now, let's unpack that just for a second. Understand that there's two groups of people in the temple listening to Jesus, watching him. There's the religiously educated adults. And then there is innocent children. Two groups. Religiously educated adults and innocent children. Both of these groups of people have just witnessed what took place. What took place? The lame were healed and started to walk, and the blind suddenly were healed and were able to see. Both the religiously educated adults and the innocent children both saw what just took place. And the Bible says the innocent children saw these miracles and began to cry and scream out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now the word Hosanna there literally means save us, we pray. It's really a cry for help wrapped up in praise. And notice who they cry for help to. Hosanna to the Son of David. Seventeen times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the son of David. This is more than a statement of physical genealogy. Although Jesus was a descendant of David by adoption and through Joseph, through Joseph and by blood through his mother Mary. But the title son of David is a messianic title. And the children were proclaiming that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Deliverer, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. The children were crying out, You are the one. You are the Deliverer. You are the Savior. Save us, we pray. That's what they were crying out. Children, like we had up here this morning. They said, You're the Deliverer. We saw it with our own eyes. There's something remarkable about you. You're the one that our parents have told us was coming. And the religious adults, while the kids were saying that, the religious adults said this, Do you hear what these are saying? They were indignant, the Bible says. They got angry about it. They got upset about it. And they said, Don't you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, Yes, I hear what they're saying. They recognize truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. They understand I am he of whom it was foretold. They realize I am the deliverer of all earth's ills. And they answered all life's questions. They get it, you don't. They get it, you don't. And then he says this. Have you never read? Jesus said, have you never read? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. Out of the mouths of babes, out of the mouths of children, you have perfected praise. Our hearts break at the condition of our world today. 
There's not a week that goes by that I do not receive an email, a call, a text, a message from someone who's scared. They're fearful. They're bewildered at the terror and the lawlessness that is happening in our land. Marching and rioting in the streets. Terror, bombings, all type of disease and plagues have hit our land. And people are crying and they're wondering and they're scared. Pastor, what does the Bible say about this? What's happening? What's going to happen in the days to come? And we adults have become intoxicated with fleshly politics and big talk and promises by mere mortal men and women who declare this and promise that and they don't even have enough power to keep their own flesh under subjection or their own houses in order. Stop putting your trust in man. How in the world can people who can't even keep their own flesh under control and their own houses in order, they can't keep their husband from having affairs and their, then their wives from going out and doing ungodly things. If they can't do that, how in the world are they going to bring peace and safety to you? Come on, Christians. Realize we're not of this world. We're just pioneers passing through. Our allegiance doesn't belong to the Republicans or Democrats. It belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who we belong to. But that's what happened 2,000 years ago. The religiously educated adults, they were maneuvering the system. They had done form pacts with the with the Romans. And the religious establishment had already got a comfortable position with the godless heathens of the Roman government who believed in humanism. And Caesar was God. And it took the children to recognize Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the Deliverer. And in the midst of the chaos and confusion that we're seeing today, when adults are looking for a politician or a system for their answer. There's a stir in the land. Just like Jesus said, hadn't you ever read it? Don't you hear it? Don't we hear it today? Can't we see it? Once again, the children of men are starting to worship. Worship and praise is starting to sound in the land again. Young people are gathering in every nation and every large city and small city, every community. Churches who normally don't have worship services are now allowing their young people to come together because there's a heart cry in young people to worship, to worship. They're not religiously educated and they don't have all the doctrine accurate. But there's a cry in their heart to worship. To worship. We religiously educated adults complain about the volume. It hurts our ears. Isn't it amazing that the Beatles and the Almond Brothers didn't hurt our ears when we were that age? Isn't it amazing that Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin didn't hurt our ears when we were their age? We bemoan the fact that we're not singing old songs. Where they're just singing all these songs that, that don't touch me. Well, It's not about touching you, it's about touching Him. 
Why do we ever think we're supposed to get anything out of worship? We're not the topic of the praise and adoration. He's the topic of the praise and adoration. (laughs) I remember back in 1970, I was 12 years of age. In our little Pentecostal church. And all of a sudden, one Sunday morning, about the, the music had just started. We were singing our hymns, and they were wonderful. And I still love hymns to this day. But there was about 10 or 12 young people that walked in. Later, I found out they were Nazarenes who had gotten filled with the Spirit of God. And they heard that group over there at that church believed in speaking in tongues, and it had happened to them, so they just wanted to come out, come over and hang out with some people who believed like they did. And they walked in, right in the middle of service, and they had on blue jeans. Now, you got to understand, in 1970, you wore blue jeans to work in, you wore blue jeans to play in. You wouldn't go to church with a pair of blue jeans on. And they had t-shirts. You sleep in a t-shirt, you work in the field in a t-shirt, you don't wear a t-shirt to church unless it's underneath a white shirt with a tie on in 1970. And they had on flip-flops. Back then we called them thongs. You've got to be careful how you use that terminology today. If you tell somebody those are nice thongs you got on, you'll get a sexual harassment lawsuit. (laughs) And you just make, you know, you're just talking about their shoes. And they came in there and they got their, I watched them. I was sitting on the next to the back row and... I watched them. Our church only hold about 100, so you could see everything that was going on. First of all, that many visitors coming in, they all dressed different than we had on. And they looked different, and their hair was long. And, 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 and some of them had, it looked like weird symbols on their T-shirts. And they were sitting in our church, and I saw them get their songbooks out. And my uncle was leading the singing. Back then they were called song leaders. Now they're worship pastors. Back then they did it out of the love of their heart. Now you have to pay them $80,000. But anyway, (laughs) just thought I'd be a blessing to you today. (laughs) And they sang But then at the end of the singing, during the offering, when it was real quiet, all of a sudden, they in unison started singing this song that wasn't in the songbook. It went something like this. He is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Well, I see they came to y'all's church too. People, oh, it shook people up, shook people up. I remember that afternoon I went to my grandparents' house to eat lunch. And the, some people came over to my, my granddad was the pastor. They came over to his house and said, we can't have that strange fire in the church. That strange fire. We can't have that strange fire. That's of the devil. It's not in the book. It's not in the song book. It's of the devil. And that, that wave of worship ushered in a move of God that changed the world. It was called the charismatic movement. And a bunch of Pentecostals, the assemblies of God and the church of God and the Pentecostal holiness, since we'd already tasted the Holy Ghost because it didn't come in with the same sound that we was looking for, it went right past us. We rejected it because they didn't sing like we sang. And they didn't have the same type of instruments that we had. The organ and the piano. They had drums and guitars. God help us, tambourines. But it was a move of God, and we missed it. And today, 2,000 years from Palm Sunday, there's starting to be a wave swelling across our land. Religious adults do not have the answers. We're on Facebook talking about every presidential candidate, how they're the answer. And these kids don't know that. All they know is they've encountered one who's changed their life and touched their heart. And now they're just singing about it. They're singing about it. If our land is going to be saved today, it will not come through a Clinton or a Trump. It will happen as we ride the coattails of kids into praise and worship. Why? Listen to Psalm chapter 8. Jesus said, have you not never read? Here's what he was talking about. Psalm chapter 8 verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Verse 2, here it is. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Because of your enemy. You know what the perfected praise of God is? The ordained strength of God. And the Bible says when we worship Him, when we praise Him, when we turn our hearts and our voices in adoration to Him, it releases the strength of God and it will silence the enemy. Our answer is not in a politician. Our answer is in worship and praise to the Son of David, the Messiah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And it started. It started in the land. It started. Don't you hear it? Can't you hear it? They cried, Save us, Jesus Christ. Son of David and Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Deliverer. You are the Christ. And our salvation and our help is in Christ and in Christ alone. Have you ever wondered why they call it Good Friday? Why is it called Good Friday when on that day Jesus experienced the most horrible death by crucifixion? It's called Good Friday because what occurred that day was good for us. That's why it's called Good Friday. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made Him 
who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good Friday was the day that our sins and our shame was placed on Jesus. The Bible tells us that our sin and our shame was so awful that when Jesus took it upon the cross, it caused the very environment to change. The Bible tells us that the cosmos recalled in darkness. The Bible tells us that the sun withdrew its light. As Jesus hung on the cross, laboring for every breath, the punishment that was due us was placed upon him. Jesus was paying the price for my sin and your sin. He was bearing our addictions and our shame and our failures. It is called by theologians the the divine exchange. Jesus willingly took my sin, my separation from God, my human frailties, your sin, your separation from God, your human frailties, our weaknesses. He took our distorted identity and our dysfunctional propensities. He took them. And in turn, he gave to us his identity as the child of God. He gave me and you his right standing with God. He gave us his position far above principality and powers that control the darkness of this world. He gave us the ability through grace and faith to overcome the temptations of life. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't just a good Friday. It was a great Friday. Because an exchange took place. He made the way for us to become new creatures. New creations to be born. New Eddie. A new Amanda. A new Gary. A new Frankie. A new David. A new Lori. A new Bubba. Thank God for a new Bubba. (laughs) A new Tyler. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are really enjoying the benefits of Good Friday. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Since Jesus took my sin and shame and weighed away for me and you to become new creation, now things can change in my life. Things can change in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this in the New King James. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's unpack that for a second. Old things have passed away. Old things. Earlier things. Previous things. Things that previously characterized us. The way we used to be known. The way we used to act. The way we used to filter things. Old things. Previous things. The Bible says they are passed away. They're dead. They have no hold on us any longer. (laughs) No legal footing over our lives. They are destroyed. They're eliminated. They're gone. They're forgotten. I like to say it this way. Me before has not simply improved. Me before has not just updated. Me before has gone. 
<laughs> me before has been deleted. Me now is new. <clears throat> me now is new. How does that happen? How does a person change from what they were to become something God wants them to be? How does a person who was bound by addiction for years suddenly experience freedom? How does a person whose reality has been nothing but death, loss, habitual sin, shame, torment and fear, how has that changed like that? It was reality until reality experienced truth. Reality is that my father didn't bother coming to the hospital when I was born, and he divorced my mother three months later. I got the message early on that I wasn't loved or wanted. Reality is that I started smoking pot and drinking as a freshman in high school at the age of 14. Reality is that I graduated high school as a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict, having used and abused every drug available to me, including LSD and heroin. Truth is that I crossed four lanes of traffic and hit a tree in an alcohol-induced blackout, only to go get drunk again the day they let me out of jail. The, truth, the reality is that my wife of 25 years finally had enough of watching me kill myself a half pint at a time. Finally asked me to leave the family home. The reality is that by the time I made it to Renewed Life Ministries, I was dying. How do I know that's reality? Because that was me. The reality is I used drugs for 14 years of my life. The reality is I was separated from my wife and kids for six years due to my drug addiction. The reality is I stole from and manipulated all my friends and family in order to support my drug habit. The reality is I was homeless, living in a tent, thinking I would never amount to nothing. How do I know that's reality? Because that was me. Reality is I've been abusing drugs off and on for the last 20 years of my life. I've been in and out of programs just like this for a lot of my life. It's been different drugs, but the same destructive results each time. Reality is, is I didn't care if I lived or if I died. Reality is just months before coming here, I nodded out while under the influence of heroin and totaled my car. Reality is the night before I was held at gunpoint and chased around three floors of a hotel. It was a game of hide and go seek for my life. Reality is I've been running from God and his calling ever since I developed a prescription drug addiction while working on staff at a church, which eventually led to me being arrested and charged with six felony counts of forgery. Reality is, is I didn't think I'd have another chance. I thought my life, my future, and my dreams were ruined because of my heroin addiction. And how do I know that's reality? Because that was me. The reality is that I've used and sold drugs for over 20 years of my life, feeling that I'd never be free from that lifestyle. Reality is that in 2011, I was arrested, facing over 100 counts of prescription fraud, using the money as my source of income and to supply my habit for many years. 
Reality is that I'm a convicted felon and I've struggled to find a job, believing that I would never have one with benefits or a future ever again. Reality is that I've taken advantage of my family and I've pushed them away due to my addictive behavior. How do I know that's reality? Because that was me. Even though we've walked out these separate realities in our lives, we've also all been affected by the same truth. And that truth is that God loves us. He loves all of us. The truth is that my Heavenly Father has promised to never leave or forsake me. And as Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, nothing that's been created can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. The truth is that your behavior will always follow what you believe about yourself. And as a result of learning who I am in Christ Jesus, my behavior has changed radically. The truth is that by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, I stand here today clean and sober for the past 20 months. The truth is that God is still in the restoration business, and my wife and children are here this morning to support me. The truth is that I graduated from Renewed Life Ministries last August, and now I'm able to give back and support the ministry as a staff member. The truth is, through prayer and conscious contact with God, I have no desire to use drugs anymore. The truth is, as of December 25th, 2015, God has started to restore my marriage, and my wife is here. The truth is, thanks to God, I now have a job and a possibility to make a major change in my life. The truth is, I now have five months clean from drugs. The truth is that he has forgiven me of all my sins. He has canceled the record that contained the charges against me. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. The truth is this morning is that he is still the resurrection and the life. And he has surely resurrected this life from certain death and destruction. You see, he has redeemed me. He has delivered me. He has broken the chains of addiction off of me. All by the power of his precious blood that was shed for me on Calvary. The truth is is that he has brought me out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. I now walk by faith and not by sight. The truth is this morning is that the enemy came to steal, to kill, and destroy. But my Jesus has come that I might have life and have it more abundantly. The truth is is that God has spared my life, even when I didn't care about my life. My God has never failed me. He's never forsaken me. He's never turned his back on me. Though I may have strayed, his love for me remained the same. 
The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By His mercies, I have been kept from complete destruction. The truth is, is that no matter where I ran, I cannot escape. Hallelujah. The loving arms of my Father. For he is married to the backslider this morning. And his word declares, return unto me, my wayward, backsliding children. And I will heal your wayward, backsliding hearts. The truth is, even when I was unfaithful, my God, my God, he remained faithful. The truth is, I came, when I came, I was hopeless. But now I'm hopeful. For since coming here, the word of the Lord came unto me, and he said this. He said, it's still alive, and there's still time. The plan of God, the purpose of God, the dream of God, the destiny of God, it's still alive, and there's still time. Destiny delayed is not destiny denied. The truth is, this morning, it's still alive, and there's still time. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Hallelujah. The truth is that I no longer use or sell drugs because the bondage of addiction is free in my life. And whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. The truth is that thanks to my relationship with Jesus and Renewed Life Ministry Outreach, I'm no longer the person that I used to be. I walk in honesty and integrity today. The truth is that God has blessed me with a good, stable job that has benefits and a bright future. The truth is that God has also restored my family. My wife's here also today. And last week, on March the 17th, we celebrated our 15th year wedding anniversary. And the truth is that I am confident that he who has begun a good work within me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But the most important truth is 2 Corinthians 5.17, that we are all new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away, all things have been made new.